wake up yeah. Gotta get cake up yeah. Whether it's morning or night time It's gonna get tape up yeah. That nigga's just that guy that Catches the break up yeah. Back is that OG rider Charlie, I want to thank you for participating in a series I call Self Made Absolute pleasure um, it's all about uh, talking to people and giving back to fans the idea of how they got there, how they made it. Um, uh, this is my first time in the UK. We wanted to focus on UK influencers, people who've made it. Um, in the US, I've had a chance to sit down with from everybody from uh, Post Malone before he cut big to uh, a Boogie and Ski Mask to old school like Rick Ross and DJ Khaled and Nipsey Hussle. Um, in some, to me, you're looking at me, I'm old, but you've been in this a long time. Uh, uh, do you feel that way? Do you feel like you've been doing this a while? Uh, to be honest, I do, because I've been doing it my whole life. It's all I've ever known. Like, I've literally been involved in music since I was nine. And then by the time I was 13, I had shows on pirate radio, being DJing. By the time I was 14, 15, I had residencies in clubs around London, Dingles in Camden, where I'm from, was like, that was like my first spot where I used to have to lie about being 18, you know, getting paid a hundred pound a week just to live and, you know, continue doing what I love doing. So it feels like I've been doing it forever. So where does music, when did music kick in for you? I mean, eight, nine years old, how does that? It's crazy, it's a great story. So my mum used to be a cleaner and one day I got sent home from school. And so I had to go to work with my mum, who was a cleaner. And at the time she was cleaning this lady's house called Lorna, who was a very wealthy lady. And she so in American still. terms, a maid? Um, yeah, pretty yeah. much a maid. She used to yeah. go and clean this lady's house. Yeah. Um, and so one day I got sent home from school, I had to go to work with my mum. So she was like, right, sit downstairs in the kitchen, don't touch anything, I'll be about two, three hours. So I'm like, cool, I'll sit here, I'll wait here, mum, everything will be fine. So 20 minutes, 30 minutes pass, and obviously I'm nine years of age. So I'm like, all right, this is boring. So I just start looking around this kitchen, just having a nose, you know, looking at pictures and and then there was this big, massive um, cassette rack with loads of cassettes. And I remember Actual cassettes? Cassette, cassette yeah. tapes. And I just started looking at loads of these cassettes. And at this, like, I grew up in a household where music was forever playing. So music at this time was a big part of my life anyway. And I came across this cassette with this big, red, bold font, guys peering over to the camera. And I was like, what's this? So I turned it over and I started reading the track listing. And I was like, whoa. Like some of the things that I were reading was just, it blew my mind. So I was like, right, I'm going to borrow this tape. So I put the tape in my pocket. And I was like, I need to listen to this tape. So then once I did that, I sat down on the table and I was like, I ain't moving. I'm just going to sit here. I've just borrowed this tape. Emphasis on the word borrowed. I was too young to steal. Sure. Um, and anyway, I went home that night and I went into my room and I had this like, old cassette deck, which was like covered in paint. It was, it was smashed in bits. Like, I had tape to hold on the tape door. Mm -hmm. And um, so I put this tape in and I pressed play. 
And then the lyrics that I heard, I was just like, whoa. So I pressed stop, jumped under the covers in my bed. And then I never had no headphones. So I was just playing it, but playing it really low. And the cassette was NWA straight yeah. out of Compton. <laughs> and I spent the next three months just listening to this cassette religiously to the point where I thought I was Ice Cube. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to school, I was reciting every word for word, I was getting in trouble, not really understanding the context of what they were saying, but it was just so raw, so exciting and so challenging. And for me at that time, as a kid, growing up where I was growing up, I grew up in a place called Camden Town in Northwest London. And at the time, you know, I had the highest crime rate in the country. Mm. Was the state that I was from was in between Euston Station, King's Cross Station and Camden Station. So it was just like a triangle of madness. Did you know it was? At that time it was normal. Yeah. Because it was, it was home. Yeah. So I used to see crazy stuff on a daily basis. You know, like coming up the stairs into my house, there'd be, you know, junkies on the stairs that passed out or, you know, people injecting on a regular basis. But that was normal. It wasn't... But you scary. didn't, as a little kid, you didn't know that until you got older. No, until I got a bit older. I mean, by the time I was nine, ten, I was aware, you know, of what was going on. But it was just normal. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't weird. Yeah. You know? Um, so then, yeah, once, once I listened to that tape, I knew. I just knew at that point there was nothing else in life that I wanted to do but be involved in music. So from there, it was like, you know, obviously I took school seriously, but... In my head, it was always like, I'm going to be involved in music. To so whatever capacity that is, I'm not sure, but I'm going to be involved in music. So I went through school with that being my dream. And obviously all the teachers being like, you're crazy. That's not a job. How no. old were you at the time? So at the time I was nine. So then 10, 11, 12, you know, I was saying this at school and people was like, not going to happen. It's not a job. But at this time I was DJing. And I'd go to the youth club just so I could use the decks. What, what, what music would you play? Hip-hop. Just hip-hop. Um, what brought you to that? It was the NWA tape. Yeah. It was that one tape that just changed my, it changed my life. It really did. It's bizarre. What, reson well, like, what do you think resonated I when think you think it was, about it? I think it was like the anarchy in it. Yeah. I think it was the, the big fuck you to society. Mm. You know? And you know, growing up where I grew up, that felt like it represented my mind state. Because mm. even when I look back at that time of life, you know, I was definitely, I rebelled against society. Because where I grew up, you know, there's one side where everyone's poor, mm. you know, struggling. And then you can walk for 10 minutes and you've got some of the most expensive houses in the world. Mm. And so you'd have to see that. And in some cases, you'd go to school with that, you know, like, there's a great story that I always share of me growing up. So my nickname as a kid was Slippers. <laughs> and the reason for that was because from when I was like nine to 10, there was a period in my life where every day for a whole year, I had to wear a pair of slippers to school. And there was like a felt pair of slippers and there was a pair of Liverpool football slippers, but they were fake. So the live bird was the wrong way around. And by the time it got to like month eight, nine, they had holes in them. And so everyone used to take the piss out of me. I used to get bullied for it. People was like, yo, man, get some shoes. And I remember my teacher at the time calling my mum into the school and saying, yo, like, I'm sure it's have to call you in 
but can you get your son a pair of trainers? Because he's getting bullied and it's affecting his school life. Sure. So my mum was like, look, I apologise, I'm going to sort it out. And I remember leaving the school and my mum crying and being like, I'm so sorry, son. Like, I'm, I, I can't apologise enough. And I'm like, mum, it's not your fault. I'm a kid. It's not your fault, mum. And she's like, I promise you I'm going to get you some shoes. And from that, the moment I started earning money and working and being able to afford sneakers, trainers, shoes, I had an obsession. I became obsessed. And from when I was 14 up until maybe three years ago, <laughs> I would buy trainers every, at every opportunity I'd buy some sneakers, some shoes, some trainers, to the point where I've got over 5,000 pairs. Because? Yeah, and I didn't know. I didn't understand. Yeah. I didn't understand why I was doing it. Yeah. I was just doing it. Yeah. And it would make me happy. Yeah. It made me feel good about myself. I'd be like, why am I doing this? And then when I asked to question myself, and I'm like, I've spent a lot of money on shoes and sneakers. Why? Mm -hmm. And then when I sat down and questioned myself and was, you know, honest with myself, sure. brutally honest. Sure. It comes back to that moment. It comes back to that moment as a kid of me not having trainers, mm. not having sneakers, shoes. And having to wear slippers mm. and people taking the piss out of me. And, and then you start looking at how you conducted yourself with the sne shoes, the sneakers. You know, I'd always pride myself on having the freshest kicks. Mm. And everyone would be like, yo, bro, Sloth, your kicks are wild. And I'd be like, yeah, 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 you're right. Because yeah, I've achieved something, I've done something. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was that's what it was. It was a, 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 a symbol of success in my head. Even though for other people, it may be whatever. So what happened three years ago that kicked in? So I've got this outhouse, which I've created for my collection. And, um, you know, I've had like the, you know, the Guinness Book of Records hit me up for a long time. We want to put you in and you, like, you know, show the world you've got the biggest collection and blah, blah, blah. And it was never about that for me. It wasn't about that. And it was actually a member of my team that said to me, so, if it's not about that, what's it about? Mm. Why are you doing this? Why are you spending the amount of money you're spending on footwear? Mm. And I'm like, whoa, why am I? And then so when I sit back and I reflect, it all came back to that one moment. You think that's where the drive comes from? Some, I, think, I think the drive, and again, this is something I've only recently learned. Mm. You know, as you get older and really start mm -hmm. to pick yourself and mm -hmm. try to understand who you are and why you do things. So my granddad came from the Seychelles. Mm. And when he came to this country, it was after fighting in the war. He was in the Navy. So when the war was over, they docked at Liverpool. And when my dad, my granddad got off the boat, all he had was a pair of jeans, mm. a shirt and a pair of shoes. That's all he had. Never had nothing. And he made a successful life for himself. And he used to always say to me, like when I was a kid, he used to be like, you don't understand how easy you have life. Like I come to this country, the color of my skin didn't help. Mm -hmm. The fact that I had no opportunities here presented to me on a plate didn't help. People used to put dog shit through my front door. I still made a success of myself. If you can't make a success of yourself in this country, with your eyes and your skin colour, you'll never, ever, ever, ever do anything. You'll be mm. a bum. And that, he used to say that to me every time I see him. 
every single time. So how about the fact that you're a white guy yeah. in a hip hop world? You know what, I've, like, because of where I've grown up, it's only when people say that, that it means anything to me. Because where I grew up, it was very multi, multicultural. Yeah. Like, I grew up with black people, Indian people, Chinese people, and we was one community. Like I didn't, I didn't understand racism until I got to 13, 14 and stepped outside of my society. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or until police started getting involved and you know, I wouldn't be the first person they'd approach. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And you're like, whoa, cool. You know what I mean? That's the difference between me and everybody else. Yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? So I never, and even within the music thing over here, I've never really felt that. Obviously, I'm aware to it and I, I understand, you know, but growing up as a kid, it was never a thing. And even now, you know, I'm very honored and privileged that I'm able to do what I do and to be accepted for who I am. You know, I'm just an honest, genuine guy. So at 14, 15, 16, yeah. what did you think you wanted to be? Um, I just wanted to be involved in music. I wanted to be- You didn't care what it was? Yeah, I mean, at that age, I wanted to be a DJ. Mm. So, by time, so by the time I got to 16, I was doing like seven different radio shows on seven different private radio stations throughout the week, having to pay to go on radio mm. and then doing my residencies at the clubs to pay for that. To pay for it, yeah. Um, and then by the time I got to 17, I was like, I'm not sure this is ever going to be a career, but I want to be involved in music. So I educated myself on all aspects of new media. I taught myself how to edit using Final Cut. I taught myself how to produce music using Logic. I taught myself how to film. Just got a, a rubbish little camera, upgraded every opportunity, started shooting music videos for people. Um, taught myself how to use Dreamweaver and start building websites, do coding. Just sat there and spent a good year, 18 months on self-educating myself. Training myself on all aspects of new media so I felt like I was equipped and competent to step into this space. You needed to feel like you were, you knew the... The end game. Yeah, so I, like, I, I was an important component because I was already in the scene, in the culture, because I'd grown up in it. Um, so then, you know, I started writing music as well. I thought, you know what? I could be a rapper. Mm. I can do it. Why not? So I tried doing that for a while. I was pretty shit. Why do you think that? I, when I looked at the time, I thought I was the best. Yeah. Because I believe in myself so much. I really do. I have so much self-belief. But when I look back now, I'm not, I wasn't shit. But I wasn't the greatest. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a moment for me where it was like, all right, I started hearing other artists and I was thinking, well, they're actually maybe three, four years ahead of me. Is this something that I really want to do? Do I want to spend another three or four years trying to catch up with that person in terms of ability and skill when by the time I've spent them three, four years, they may be another four or five years mm -hmm. ahead of me. Ahead of you. So do I really want to do that? So then, again, I had to just pull it back a bit and ask myself a question. Like, what is it exactly that mm. I want to do? And now I'm 18, stroke 19, I'm shooting music videos for people, I'm producing records for people, I'm still doing radio bits here and there, um, I'm trying to make my own music, um, I'm make, making websites for people, I'm doing animation for big brands. Um, and my, my, one of my team at the time, Ara and Harry, they was like, 
what you need to do, this was when YouTube, YouTube had launched mm. maybe f three months prior to this conversation. You need to do some kind of vlog to show people, you know, you're quite Your charismatic. Personality, yeah. yeah, you're quite charismatic and you can pretty much do everything and you can do it to a very good level. You're not just okay. And I was like, ah, I don't know, man. Like everyone was doing vlogs at the time. I think it was it's a bit corny. Mm. So I was like, all right, you need to come up with something that showcases everything you do mm. and put it out there for the world to see. Now at this time, I was living in a shed. Like no joke, no sanitation. How old were you? I was 18, 19. Mm. So I was 18, 19, I was living in a shed. Um, and, you know, every penny that I was earning, I'd put back in to trying to make this music thing work. Every penny. You know, I was wearing the same clothes every day and, you know, because I've got, you know, quite, you know, quite proud, I would wash the clothes every day and iron them every day so they were still fresh, but it was still the same clothes every day. You know what I mean? Um, and so anyway, I came up with this concept, um, being Charlie Sloth. So basically what it was, was me playing seven different characters, showing people all the different hats that I wore as Charlie Sloth. So you had the director, the editor, mm -hmm. the artist, mm -hmm. the street team, the manager, the web designer, um, the DJ. There was just, there was every different hat that I wore, there was a character for. And I created a personality and an outfit, which I felt stereotyped that individual that personality. Person. Yeah. yeah. So um, I wrote it, edited it, filmed it, directed it, all of it, must, everything was done by myself. And that was almost the, the USP of it. And so the first episode I'd spent maybe a month mm. putting it together, just getting it right. And you know, I was like doing 18, 19 hour days. Mm. And I put it on YouTube and I thought, this is it. I made it, I put it on YouTube. This is it, my life's gonna change. And I put it on YouTube and it done just shy of 4,000 views in mm. the first day. And I was just so deflated. I was like, all of that effort for 4,000 views. Mm. I couldn't get my head around it. I was like, this is really good. This is really good. This is good content. Why does no one care? And um, the next day, the next, so I went, to, I went to sleep that night. And you know, that was the first time I feel like I was questioning myself. What am I doing? What am I doing? Yeah. Is this, is this ever going to work? Mm. I'm living in a fucking shed. You know? It's, it's quite embarrassing. Um, and the next morning, I woke up and Q from World Star Hip Hop, rest in peace, bless his soul, had hit me up saying, yo, like, I saw that show you made. It's fucking crazy. I've never seen nothing like that in my life. Did you know him at life. the time? No. Yeah. No, I knew, I, I knew about Worldstar, the biggest hip hop site in the world. It was an email to you? It was an email. Yeah. This is fucking insane. This is crazy. I've never seen anything like it. I want to make it exclusive on Worldstar hip hop. How frequently can you deliver? Mm. So I was like, whoa, this is crazy. So, um, ended up saying I can deliver you an episode every Monday, mm. a fresh episode. So I did that for 67 weeks. Every Monday at 9 a.m. I would deliver another episode. 
which was all self-contained, shot, written, directed, you? edited by myself. Mm. And like, you know, throughout, there were so many people trying to get involved and be like, oh, this is fucking, just doing crazy numbers. There's this little fat white kid from London doing some crazy shit. So everyone's like, what? And like, you know, I've got these big rappers. Did you appreciate that at the time? At the time? Um, not really. Mm. Not really. Like, what I did appreciate was artists that I looked up to. Mm. Who, who thought highly of it. Thought highly of yeah. it. I was like, this shit's great. You know, this is really cool. Um, so then we, we, we finished at six, on 67 episodes. And I had just done a crazy fucking deal in LA mm. with a massive film house who had got the checkbook out and said, look, we can take this to the next level. You can keep it how you want to keep it. You can do the whole thing yourself, but we're going to put it on a different level. We're going to go TV, film. Mm. And I'm like, amazing. This is incredible. So I got my visa, got my O1. I was ready to go. I was ready to go. At this point, I'm still living in a shed. My first son has just been born. Mm. And everyone around me is like, yo, you got issues, bro. I was living like a hobo. Real life. And um, so anyway, this deal has been done with this massive film house in LA. You know, everything's done, paperwork's done. My team are, everyone's excited. You know, this is it. This is what we've worked mm. towards. This is that moment. But for me, I still didn't feel complete. Like, I thought when I got that check, I'd feel like- It was enough. It was enough. Yeah, I'd made it. I didn't feel like that. Yeah. I still felt the same way that I had felt a year ago. Yeah. So it was, maybe, I, I, it was maybe three weeks before I was about to leave to LA. I get a call from the BBC and they're like, yo, love what you've done on Worldstar. It's genius. Do you want to do a show, your own show? Mm. And I've been doing some cover shows with Wretch Free 2 prior to this, which I, you know, I, I loved so much because it was, that was, that's where it started for me, my main passion. So um, they offered me a show. It was a graveyard shift um, on a Friday night, mm. one to four in the morning. Mm. And it just ignited something in my head. So I got off the phone and I, I was so excited. I was like, yo, I've just been offered a show on the BBC. Mm. And guy on my team's like, so fucking what? What's, what's that got to do with anything? We're going to LA, bruv. Mm. So then I start thinking about, all right, if I took this radio show, what would I do with the radio show? And I thought, you know what? I could probably do something that nobody's ever done over here. I could really support a scene and a culture that means so much to me. And artists who are not just artists, who are my friends. I could do something for them that nobody's ever done. So when, I, when I've seen uh, Fire in the Booth, yeah. I feel like you put on a, it's like a, a superhero mask. Yeah, do you know what it is? I can't, do you know what, I, 
it's like something comes over me, Brett. It's like the moment someone starts performing or the excitement of knowing they're about to do that, I, I go ape shit. Like in my mind. Have you always been? Have you always felt like that? Yeah. Like do you know, because it's like when when I watch them back, I get embarrassed. Because I'm like, I'm not there actively being like, right, when I go in, I'm going to start shouting. That's what I'm going to do. This is what I have to yeah, plan. I'm yeah, I'm not. I'm not. That, I just get caught in the moment. It's almost like there's an energy. And you can ask any artist who's participated in a Friday booth, there's a certain energy. Is there a different energy between somebody you, who's known, a Drake or whoever it is, a Stormzy, versus somebody who's not known? No. There's that, it's just that same raw energy. And I think it's a... It's an understanding that there's nowhere to hide. So who would you rather have on today? The, the famous artist to get no, in? No, no, no. Like, for me, it's more special discovering somebody yeah. or finding an artist that I feel that I've discovered or come across early and showcasing that to the world. You know, for me, that moment, creating that moment, is, you, can't, you can't put a price or an experience mm -hmm. on that and seeing how that person's don't, life changes. Don't you think they're more willing to give themselves than a famous person? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Because for them, this is an opportunity to, to change showcase, your life, yeah. to showcase what you're about. And it's changed so many people's lives that it's evident that you so can I, change your life. I read, read about you in the sense of uh, social media today and mm -hmm. what it's done for artists. Do you see the difference between them putting songs out on oh, yeah. SoundCloud and streaming versus them coming on a show and performing for an audience? Oh, for sure. You know, I think that what social media has done is remove the middleman. Mm. It's that direct tapping with your fan base. You know, you can say something now and your audience get it instantly. And there's no one mincing your words. Mm. There's no one editing what you said. It's direct direct to your audience. And I think what that does is it creates a relationship between the fans and the artists mm. that is so intimate. And that's why live is so important these days. Because you, you spend the year absorbing this person's life. And to go and see them live and mm. experience that live is something that once you've bought in to these artists, you want to go and do. Mm. You know, I still want to go and see artists live. And even more so now with social media, because I'm tapping into their life, I'm seeing what so, they're doing. So two questions. So would you have rather grown up today or when you grew up? That's a tough question. I mean, I, I wouldn't change anything about my life. And I've made so many mistakes, but I have no regrets, none whatsoever. And I don't feel that I'd be who I am today if I grew up in today's society. But I also, so in some ways, your personality is today. Yeah. But I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm, like, I'm pretty savvy when it comes to social media. I'm pretty in it. I know how to, you know, operate everything and play my part within that world. So I still feel like I'm getting the benefits of it. But I still have an understanding of a life with no social media mm. and how much harder you had to work and how differently you had to work to reach your target audience and to be a part of a world that, you know, you cared about. So who would you rather have on, this is a personal question, who would you rather have on a huge American uh, uh, hip-hop star or a UK artist? 
It, I mean, it depends. Like, if it's for selfish reasons, you know, there's some artists from the States who I've not had on. That for selfish reasons, I'd like to have one. Um, but, you know, everything I do is very UK focused. I want to be a part You feel a responsibility? Um, slightly. I feel a responsibility to make sure that I'm still championing the music and the mm. culture that has given me the position that I'm in. And to make sure that the world hears the music that I'm so passionate mm. about. And you know, that was a big part of me joining Apple. And I was gonna ask, was that a big decision for huge, you? Huge, huge. I, you know, I'd been at the BBC for almost 10 years. Mm. And there's people there that I love dearly. You know, that were my friends throughout the building. But for me, I just needed a new challenge. You were at that point, I, I gotta I, try something. I need to try something. Yeah. And I'd achieved everything that I'd set out to do at the BBC, you know? Everything that I wanted to do, I'd achieved. I started on the graveyard shift. Mm. When I sat down with a boss, I, he said, what are your aspirations, Charlie? I said, within a month, mm -hmm. I'll create a video that's had over a million views. Within five years, I'd have replaced Tim Westwood on mm -hmm. all of his shows. Mm -hmm. He laughed at me. Mm -hmm. I was like, why are you laughing? He's like, you know how many times I've heard people say they're going to replace Westwood? And Westwood was one of my idols growing up. I listened to him religiously. Um, within three years, I had replaced Tim on all of his shows. Mm. Fire in the Booth was up and running and doing hundreds of millions of views around the world. And then, you know, time rolls on. I set, I set myself new goals every time. Every time I achieve something, I always like to set myself a new target, a new goal, just to keep me motivated and keep me driving. Um, and then one of the big goals was Drake. Mm. To get Drake on, it was a big goal of mine for a long time. You dragged for a long time? For a long time, so many years. Did he avoid it? I wouldn't say avoided it, but in terms of how important it was to him, it probably wasn't important, you know? Like, he's a purist. Yeah. He really is. He's someone who... Did you think he was going to be able to perform? Oh, yeah, I knew he would. Yeah. I knew he would. He can rap. He can, he, he's a purist. When it comes to music, like, he's a fan. That's what I admire about him. Mm. And even the way he, you know, involves himself in British culture. I was going to ask, so when I listen to sometimes some of his songs, you hear the British... Oh, yeah. You mean, Do you, is that a positive? That's a, you, you know, Toronto and London... They're pretty much the same places mm. in terms of lifestyle and culture. Mm. Like our terminology, our slang, the way we dress, the way we treat each other, it's, it's insane. Like they go hand in hand. Mm. And, you know, it's very genuine, his love and passion for British culture and British music. Like he knows all the words, the songs. The fact that he does ingratiates him into the, into the society. Yeah, people love him here. Yeah. He's, he's a guy here. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. good. He's good. A lot of people use the UK as a stepping stone. Yeah. They'll dip in and when it's, it's right for them, they'll use the culture and the scene when it's right for them. But he actually cares. You know, he's a part of it. You know, he'll, he, you know, you'll go into the artist's house and he'll be there. You know what I mean? It's mm. proper. It's not a joke. So what's next for you? Um, I mean, you know, so I've just joined Apple Music and Beats One. And for me, I want to be a part of the story, the narrative of the first British international rap star. And I think we're so close. 
I think we're closest we've ever been. And I want to be, I want to be a part of that journey, that story. Is this your vision or Apple's vision or a little bit this of is, both? This is, well, this is my vision. Mm. And, you know, they've got the platform and the infrastructure and the team to help me on my journey to, you know, help the right artist along to do that. I don't know who it is yet. You know, I've got a few people that I feel have the right qualities to be able to do so, but I just want to be a conduit. Well, Charlie, I have to say, you're inspiring, you're inspirational. Uh, my takeaway is uh, you're infectious and uh, you believe in your path. And to me, you're very, you're beyond self-made. You're Charlie. You're, oh man, you're making me blush. No, right, you're, you've made it. So cheers, my cheers, friend. Bro. Thank cheers, you, bro. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Man, don't play with the workers. workers. Might go back to the pay cut. <laughs> Man don't play with the workers, man just stay with the bursers, and man spray with the murk.